quick thank you to our sponsors for making this podcast possible. They keep this show free to listen to. You know what I don't miss at all? The vicious week before my period. I always used to feel like I was walking in quicksand and craving the most unhealthy of foods. My sleep was always off and my moods were unpredictable. Now it's easier to manage PMS with EstroControl. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality and it shows. And the biggest benefit, feeling like myself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 14,000 reviews of Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off the entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code PEACE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code PEACE for 15% off today. When our kids are born, we have expectations as to how our family will interact. What we certainly aren't ready for are the struggles we encounter with the people we love the most. We are here for the parent who feels like they've tried it all, for the parent who feels like they have to yell to be heard, for the parent who is tired of timeouts and kids fighting all day. We are here for you. We believe when parents feel supported and heard, they are able to come to parenting more centered. We offer tools to navigate the messiness of life with kids. We are Peace in Parenting. Hey guys, we're back for another episode of the Peace and Parenting Podcast. I'm Gemma. I'm here with Michelle. And today we have a special guest from Thriving Littles, Katie Crosby. Hi, Katie. Hi, Katie. How are you? Happy to be here. Great. Well, let's start out with one thing in our world that's going well. Gemma, you want to go first? Yeah. um, This week, Dan and I are celebrating nine years together. We've been together 11, but married for nine and it has not been easy. So <laughs> I'm proud of us. I am too. Good job. <laughs> what about for you? You know, I am I'm feeling really like settled. The girls are happy and they're doing their online school even though it's hard, but everybody seems to be like kind of just settling in, which is nice. Oh, good. What about you, Katie? So I um I'm getting back into movement. I just started this exercise class online called the class and it's all about physical and emotional release and it is like just what I needed I feel like I've been in a rut lately and getting moving and having something that feels like you're making sounds and loud noises and shaking and all these awesome things I like that oh I want to check that out All right. So Katie, lovely Katie, tell us all about you. So I am a pediatric occupational therapist by training. So I work part-time in a pediatric clinic. Actually, um, Thriving Littles is my virtual community where I support caregivers and parents and even adults without kids have been drawn to this work. So it's all about the mix of attachment and and psychology and adult consciousness or human consciousness and child development. So a mix of all that and really looking at our patterns and our behaviors and how we're showing up and what the root of all that is and bringing people together. So I have a course right now that I'm in leading people going through thriving through meltdowns and working on emotional development with kids and the families and things like that. So it's been a neat uh, niche for me lately. 
amazing and her instagram community is so lovely and all the things you post are so insightful and i just i love it so we're so excited to have you here likewise likewise so we're going to talk about trauma in all ways and shapes and forms and if you want to just tell us the basics yeah so trauma is one of those topics i feel like it's a big heavy word There's a lot of different views out there. Some people think that trauma needs to be big T trauma, and that's really the only trauma of kind of shock trauma or things that were really serious, quote unquote. And uh, my world looks at that, but also looks at how trauma just shows up as unresolved emotion in the body. So looking at any experiences that we had and thinking about how differently those experiences can impact people. So thinking about how Maybe emotional neglect as a child can show up as all these repressed Mm -hmm. emotions and memories and sensations and how that presents like trauma in just about many other ways. So I feel like too, like we feel as if we have to shield our kids from all the trauma in life and that somehow if they've experienced something that's difficult, even if it's not that difficult, even if it's just, you know, a a daily upset that it's somehow if, if it hurts them, that it's our fault that we're somehow responsible for it. And I think that puts a big burden on parents because then I think that gives the idea like we have to push out all of the things that are difficult so that we can make their lives easy so that they don't experience any quote unquote trauma. But what do you think about that? That's such a big point and such a strong thing that I think we need to recognize. One, the fact that trauma isn't that nothing bad ever happens, like, or that something bad does happen necessarily. It's that we don't have that return to calm or organized afterward, or we don't have a way to make sense of it. So it's not really about what happens to us as much as it is about how that impacts us and how that shows up and how it drives our behavior. And then also this idea that does put so much on the parent. So as a world, I think we put so much on the parent versus looking at all these other factors that come into play and the society and school systems and things that are happening that are really beyond our control. So it's how do we help boost the resilience and connection or the core of their capacity to move through this tough stuff that will inevitably be there all throughout life, as we all know. Right. We can't get through this. Don't we say that, Gemma? We are like, you're not going to get out of this unscarred. You or your children. (laughs) Life is not easy, everybody. And to pretend that we can make it okay is just unrealistic. Mm -hmm. So for little kids that do experience trauma, what do you like? I mean, I go listen to all the feelings, but for Caleb, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast and heard the story, but he had a girl projectile vomit in front of mm. him and he was truly traumatized, like would never go to preschool again, dropped Aww. him off and he was like sliding down the glass door screaming for me and we ended up in therapy, but I still, he still has that response when he, we talk about throw up. If he sees throw up, he goes blank. Like it's like he is not in his body anymore because he's so scared of throw up. Mm-hmm. Like I've listened to feelings a million times, but I don't know how parents get through when there is trauma like that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think about a few things coming to mind with you sharing this is again, thinking about how we may think about this as, oh, just some vomit, like move through it or get through it. Sounds like you're not doing that. You're not saying that. But our (laughs) tendency can be to just minimize or avoid or think kids are worried about these things that aren't really a big deal or it's trivial. 
So thinking about it as what you're doing exactly like creating space. So the first thing is creating space and openness, willingness to get curious and see what they're going through. And then I love looking at the stress responses. So fight, flight, freeze, stress responses, brain and body states, how those show up and thinking about how we can get back to those stress responses to help them release. So a body of work that I love for this is somatic experiencing, which looks a lot about animals and how they release stress. So you think about, you know, every time my dog gets up, he shakes. And it's this innate way of managing stress or getting release from the body. So sometimes it, it there does need to be that deeper level body work that can go in and say, hey, nervous system, we're going to move through this in a way that feels okay for you. And release it from the body and get rid of that tension. There's a model also that I love. It's Bruce Perry's neurosequential model, which essentially says we're looking at their brain states and figuring out what to do by their behavior. So I would think about Caleb's behavior and think about what does he do when he's stressed? Like when he's afraid, thinking about projectile vomit or going back to school, what is the behavior that shows up? For him, it's like a frozen. His eyes are gone. He's just not there anymore. Okay. So kind of eyes glazed over deer in headlights. Yeah. And very avoidant. Like if we're like, what's up, buddy? He'll be like, nothing. I'm fine. What? Uh, Everything's big, big fine. Boy. <laughs> like what's going on? This is so weird. I know for Pia, she had snark. I'm sorry. I'm going to go off on a tangent for one second. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> but she had sleep apnea as a really little kid and she would Every time she had a tantrum, she would go to this place where she would say, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Mm -hmm. And it went on for, I mean, almost a year, not every tantrum, but when she got to her deep ones, it would go to this place where she kept saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And I'm just wondering, I know we want our kids to like have a big emotional release and then just let it be over. You know, like, I don't know if your healing is that linear. We don't know what this psyche or what our subconscious is. I think he might have to have 20 tantrums around it or 30 experiences reliving it to get over it. And that that's kind of, I think that's super normal, Gemma. I think so too. I think that, like you said, Michelle, it's so not linear with, it might not even be related to the vomit. It might be other stuff that was stored away or needed to be integrated or released. So thinking about it as looking at the stress response, so frozen, eyes glazed, avoidant makes me think of the freeze response or kind of this need to be reminded that there's safety, there's security. And there's a story about how when a bird crashes into a window and falls. They look dead. However, often they're in a freeze mode. So thinking about it as if, so there's a story, if you come up and put your hands around them and cup the bird in your hands and there's warmth, there's just presence, you're not restricting their movement. It allows the bird to come back to life, if you will, or not come back to life, but come out of that (laughs) stress response. Yeah. So it is like Michelle saying, like going through those meltdowns or going through those emotions and just holding space for whatever's coming up, allowing any trembling or shaking or crying or physical things in the body that are coming up. It can allow them the opportunity to move through. And this is really general. Sometimes you do need more support than that. But, you know, generally speaking, those repetitions of going through that emotion are really supportive ways to influence that child's ability to regulate stress on their own down the road when they're ready. Do you think that some level of trauma in kids is healthy? Like it's good for us to go through stuff like that? I don't know if I'd say like trauma is good for us. However, I think the inevitability of tough things happening and not limiting exposure. So you mentioned earlier, 
like if we're trying to avoid anything from happening to, mm-hmm. to kids or any sense of loss, it's really bypassing all of that natural life experience. So I wouldn't want to, of course, like subject kids to trauma knowingly, but also <laughs> um, not limiting any time they would get hurt or get upset, you know, managing their emotions in a way that we think they're fragile. Yeah, I always, I always feel like I'm not happy when they go through something stressful, (laughs) but I having kids that are older now, I'm happy that they were able to have stressful experiences and be resilient around them, like be able to get through them without me, like, you know, getting rid of all the barriers, because it did build this like deep, now my 15 year old, I can tell like things happen to her and it doesn't rattle her so much because she knows she's going to be okay. Even if she isn't okay in the moment, she knows eventually she will be okay because we haven't like denied it or we haven't, you know, tried to fix it or whatever. And that I'm somewhat grateful that she's had experiences that she's been able to get through because it's made her stronger. I'm curious what you did in those moments of the most intense stress. So the most like these fight, flight, freeze responses. Often as an OT, I think about, you know, as an infant, sensory strategies to soothe to kind of help those body awareness of what helps in the moments that were the most stressed or shut down. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what did you do when? Well, first I lost my mind because, you know, <laughs> you go to this place where you're like, holy crap, my kid is having a major upset. Like, I don't know if I can handle this. So so a lot of times I did it wrong when they were really young. But then I started to really realize that they just wanted me to bear witness to their upset. That's really what they wanted. And I think I, I say it all the time, like, what do we want when we're upset? I just want someone to listen to me. I don't want them to fix it or give me their opinion or reason it away or otherwise tell me I don't have a right to my feelings. And so I think that's just what I did. I just gave her a right to her feelings, even if those feelings to me were scary and really big and really dysregulated that we just sat through them. And I've sat through with her for two hours before just listening to those feelings. And it's not easy. I can tell everyone out there it is not easy, especially with a big kid. It's really hard. It's really hard, but it works. And they come all the way through and they'll say, oh my, I'm sorry I said that. I didn't mean this. Or I don't know. I don't know why I was doing this. I don't know why I was acting that way. And I'm just, I always say at the end, like, it's okay. They're just feelings. They're not going to kill us. They're just feelings. That's it. And it works. It totally works. That's awesome. There's so much acceptance in that of like, this might not be tied with a pretty bow. It's just messy. And it is. And you're not trying, I think, so often when they're upset, you know, we're thinking about how do we get done with this? Or how do we how do I do the right thing so they can be calm? And that's just I was thinking that too, though. (laughs) Like in the moment, I was like, I can't I don't like I need this to be over everybody. Like I have things to do. (laughs) Yeah, I bet I bet. ADHD affects so many of our families and finding the right care can be a challenge. With done, you can get the care you need 24 seven. At donefirst.com, you have an expert team who can help you get personalized treatment for you and your sweet kids. ADHD doesn't have to jeopardize the connection you share with your family. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy co-pays as low as $0. Visit Get dot forward slash podcast to learn more. 
done. Turn ADHD into your strength. This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. ByHeart features a patent protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their formula includes the most abundant protein, Alpha-Lac, found in breast milk, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. ByHeart is an easy-to-digest formula, which includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like an early breast milk, making it great for a newborn's digestive system. ByHeart is the only U.S.-made infant formula made with certified clean ingredients, including organic, grass-fed, whole milk, not skim. What it doesn't have is soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast. Use code PEACE for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So beyond like throw up, there's obviously going to be more traumas in life, either small like dog dying or I mean, that's not really small, but that's a trauma, I would say, or stuff that's really big. How does that show up in kids behavior that we might misinterpret for something else? There's so many different ways that it can present. And I think it's one of the coolest things to look at because it helps us know that all these adults around us are just really, we all have our own inner kids with unresolved stuff that shows up in our behavior, right? So I think about the ways that it can look on a spectrum of under responsivity or when we shut down or want to sit on the couch and aren't motivated, don't want to play with friends, aren't wanting to engage in kind of learning opportunities in a way that is really innately within kids. So it can look more kind of passive or subdued. And then it can also look more like really, really high achieving or perfectionist or all these external things that give us feedback about our self-worth or who we are, which probably anybody can relate to any of these points along the spectrum. Yeah. So it's thinking about when they're really dominating behavior. So not just that they're showing up sometimes, but are they really dominating the way that this child is living? And is that child coming from a a really fear-based lens consistently over time and having a really hard time with play or with friends or the daily occupations to say as an OT, but is there limited participation in those in some way? So I think people get concerned or worried and they'll come and ask, how do I know if they have unresolved emotion or I'm causing them trauma? And I think the biggest thing for me is looking at their participation in activities with friends or sleep or mealtimes. Are they eating? Are they sleeping? Are they coming to you when they're upset? So is there some emotional space or emotional processing or is that kind of all shut down and they're not wanting to go there ever? So looking at how behavior limits or hinders their participation and the things that give life meaning and make it fun and purposeful. And I have an easy time picking out the, you know, the child that's controlling the situation or, you know, that's overly their behaviors are big. I, it's interesting. I never, I not never, but I have a really hard time seeing it with the withdrawn. I don't have withdrawn. I have the other <laughs> type of kid. So, but I, I think it's so astute. Like, yes, if a child is withdrawn or quiet or non-participatory, like that's an indicator too. That's a behavior, even though we think that 
the outward behaviors are the ones we should be looking for. Those are important ones to look for too. The kid that's overly compliant or, you know, sitting by the wayside. Sometimes my progression in therapy with kids is a child who's been really internalizing. So they tend to internalize and I hate to label, but that the, they tend to internalize. So they might tend toward keeping everything in or kind of bulldozing through, which is totally how I was. So I started to think how in therapy with kids now, the fact that they might get angry or upset or be hitting or pushing is actually progress to me because they're coming out of that kind of internal shutdown, withdrawn space and they feel safe enough for better and worse doesn't again, make it easy. Mm-hmm. But when they're yelling or when they're saying things that are maybe quote hurtful or they're getting it out in some way, it can be a sign of things happening. So they're moving up the ladder of stress and they're starting to metabolize it from their body and get it out there and not always looking at it as this bad thing. So I think, yes, we look at these kids with outward behaviors, the ones that are hitting or pushing at school or interrupting the class. And to me, that isn't always the kids that are most in pain or most hurting. So being aware of that has been really eye-opening. Yeah. And I think in a family like our family, before I started all this, I had the outward behavior and then the internalizer. And it was interesting because once I got Esme, my, you know, outwardly, you know, defiant and fear driven behavior kind of more in check because she was getting the support she needed because she was getting all the connection she needed. All of a sudden I was Pia started having all these huge feelings and I was like, wait, hold on. You can't have feelings because you're my, you're my good kid. And I only did this for her. And I don't know what you're doing, but this is not okay. And then she came out with all these feelings. And now she's equally as, you know, she comes out all the time with her feelings. And I'm just, it's lucky that we're able to have these conversations and people know about this because then they can give space to those kids who don't always have or feel like they have it. That's so cool. Yeah, I think that and it shows up in adults too. You know, when we think about if we're angry and we laugh, like it's not really a matching. Like I used to always laugh if I was angry or uncomfortable or nervous. Like just the constriction of emotion, I wasn't comfortable sharing that. So I would either get sad or laugh. So looking at kids' behavior and if it matches their internal world, if it matches what's going on, and then we can shape it and be open for that co-regulation process. Tell us just there. a little bit about co-regulation because I think it's a good one. Yeah. So one of the biggest things I think about with resolving or trauma-proofing kids, and not to say they won't ever experience it, but is looking at this idea of when kids are having meltdowns or upset or even in kind of being silly. So that silliness shows up or they're very, very withdrawn. I see that as dysregulation. So they're upset, dysregulation. And then to get to self-regulation down the road, they really need thousands of repetitions with the caregiver in the middle. So that's where what is called co-regulation. So thinking about those hands cupping the bird, that's really co-regulation. Being there, like you said, bearing witness, holding space, they're able to access our brain or our nervous system calm. So thinking about brains as social organs and how we all influence each other all day long. Not that we're responsible for each other's emotions, but we do influence one another. So they can access 
us and we might use our sounds or tone of voice or our presence or just being down at their level. So the co-regulation is really what is building their capacity to move through those uncomfortable feelings. So, you know, mentioning Pia now being able to move through it. It's all about strengthening those almost like we're building a muscle every time we hold space when they're young. It's like building their muscle of moving through tough stuff down the road. So good. When you want Katie as your occupational therapist. Yes, I know. I'm like, I'm mesmerized. Calming voice. And like, she's so like sweet. And I was like, I just want her to listen to my feelings, please. (laughs) (laughs) I need that in my world. I'm honored. I feel like it's interesting working with kids. I work with parents really closely in the model that I work in, DIR floor time. So it's all about the family system. And it's really, I think my specialty probably is working with parents more and more because it's like we all need this space we didn't get it we're trying to figure it out now as adults and we look pretty functional but reality is it's like the emotional world is a whole different ball game so managing that alone is like everybody needs space for that how can we be available for kids if we haven't had it ourselves it's really tough yeah like you can't your kid will never get to co-regulation if you're never regulated. Yeah. I think that's it too. I was a teacher and I thought, oh, I'm helping the kids and I'm really, you know, I loved working with the kids, but I feel like working with the parents is really working with the kids because without the parents' help, the kids will never get there. And I don't know if it's our this generation or I feel like people are really driven to heal this stuff or to show up differently. And I call it the sandwich healing generation because it's like we're trying to be there for kids and be present, but we also didn't experience this growing up and we're getting you know, all these unhelpful things for many of us. So it's like trying to figure out and be around kids is a tough game. It really is. For me, the relationship seems familiar, right? I get in these like interactions with my kids and I'm like, oh yes, ding, ding, ding. I remember a child parent relationship, but then I'm like, I'm shot right to my childhood, right? It's not like I'm in my adult, like above ground brain. I'm down here in the trenches with my old brain thinking, no, but what about me? I need my needs met here, everybody. Like you can't, you can't get your needs met because I need mine because mine were never met. And so I think we get there a lot and then you're like in the mud with them thinking, how can I get myself out of here so I can rise above all this and it's hard it's a big it's an onion of work it's like we have to be conscious then we have to take care of ourselves and then we have to take care of our past and it's just a it's a lot of work yeah I think about it as how do we get back to enoughness of we're never going to be perfect humans and we're not really responsible for healing these thousands of generations before us or whatever it is so yeah and we're not taking on that burden and focusing on what we are doing and how we are supporting differently and how much we are doing. Just showing up and being willing and available and open. Yeah, my kids will still need to go to therapy. It's okay. Esme and I go to therapy now and it's great. It's like the best thing we ever do. I think people think like, oh, if I do all this stuff, then my kids will be perfect and I'll be perfect and the family. I think I thought that, but I just don't think that's attainable at all. And that's okay. That really is okay. And that's part of the human experience. I think that we can be okay with that. Like Esme's still dealing with our divorce. We've been divorced for four, we've been separated for four years and she's still like, it comes up all the time. I don't think she'll ever fully heal from it maybe, but as long as we're talking about it and getting it out and discussing it and making it and being open about it, I think that's the best thing we can do with our kids. What a gift she's sharing it. When I think about my parents' divorce when I was seven, like never really processed it. I no. still haven't processed it. Like I still need, you know, working on that in therapy probably in some ways. Like 
So okay. just focusing on like, wow, she's sharing that. And she's aware of what's going on in her internal world enough to talk about it. Like I didn't have that gift until like last year. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> right. I think the same. <laughs> I was like, at least we're starting at 14. All right, we get a little jump start here, you know? And it's like, yeah, it really is. It really is. I think asking for help. I think that's the big thing too. I always thought, I'm a teacher. I'm born to be a mom. I love kids. I can do this. And I never wanted to ask for help. And I think that's a big thing that our society says, like you're just supposed to know what to do and that it is okay to ask for help and get help for your kids and, you know, get a therapist, get an occupational therapist, get a coach, but whoever you need, if you can get it, get it, do it. It's okay. It does bring in that village aspect too of like, you know, we used to be around people all the time that saw us in our rawness and our authenticity because we live closely together and it strips so much of that when we're trying to be a certain way in every setting that we go into and don't have that open space. So yeah, I think therapy or talking to somebody or getting support is so, so key in being able to do all this. Yeah. Any last thoughts on trauma, Katie? You know, just that the normalization of it, I think, and talking about it and getting it out there. I've been in a recovery program a while, adult children of dysfunctional families or adult children of alcoholics. And just that being able to have space and talk about it or go to a meeting, whether it's online right now or in person or getting some type of community around it, I think is probably a precursor to any of this because otherwise we don't feel safe enough to ask for help or get the support that we need or tune in because we might be in stress mode ourselves. So that community aspect of trusting even just one person and trying because when you've shut down all of that attachment system and connection and you're dealing with your own trauma, it's not our go-to to get support from or talk to somebody like everybody says. So just finding that and whatever that looks like for us and going from there. Tell us where we can find you and anything that you want that's coming up in your world that you want to tell us about. So I am on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram is my main home at Thriving Littles and Facebook is Thriving Littles. I also have a YouTube channel that I'm not extremely consistent with, but um, (laughs) right now I'm doing a meltdowns course and I'm probably going to open it up kind of seeing how it goes this round. So I walk people through the course pretty closely and we do live sessions and question and answer. So that would be the next step if we choose to run it again. Oh, good. Well, we'll link all your stuff in our um, notes. Yeah, Gemma? Yeah. And if you want to give us a link, whatever links you want, we'll put in there for you. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. This is fun to talk with you. Yeah, thank you. That was so lovely. We so appreciate it. Okay. Thank you again, Katie. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.